Hey everybody, welcome to episode 164 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung. I'm excited to be coming to you from a new decade. So happy new year, everyone. We've got lots of fun stuff coming on the podcast in the coming weeks. But this one, we're going to do some housekeeping of sorts and get through some of your listener questions that uh, we're actually piling up a little bit in December and a few that are, I think, highly relevant, especially as we enter the spring training mode for those who might be training for races in the March through May timeframes. So we're going to get to those questions. So thanks to those who sent them. First, as a reminder, you can no longer sign up for season five of my podcast training group, but you can still sign up for the base building group through the end of the month or until that group sells out. I think we're already about two thirds full, so only about 10 spots left if you're interested in jumping into that base building program that we, lo- that we talked about in episode 163 with Jason. So check out all of that info. You can find it on our website. If you go to roguerunning.com and look under the training tab, there's a page now on the base building program. And of course, you can go back and listen to episode 163. Interestingly, we had at least a comment after that episode that I think is worth covering to start things off here with this episode, which is that we talked about the, the concept of HRV on that episode. And I know we've covered that before on prior episodes, but a listener pointed out that on that episode, we didn't actually give the appropriate detail about what HRV means and stands for. So I wanted to first follow up and respond to that comment and make sure you guys understand that topic for context for episode 163 and for what we're doing for our base building program. HRV stands for heart rate variability, and it's basically the the time variable between your heartbeats. And one thing that medicine has learned and science has taught us is that higher variability in your in your gaps between heartbeats actually indicates that you're in a more relaxed state. So you want a high HRV in order to indicate that you're in a recovered and relaxed state. And a low heart rate variability or HRV means that you have more consistent gaps between heart heartbeats. And you're actually, in those cases, your body is in a more heightened or aware state, sort of ready for the flight or fight mode. And that is indicative of the fact that you may not be recovering properly and may or may not be in a place where you want to go press and dig deep in in a workout. So we'll be talking about HRV in the context of that base building program and how you can use it to start to learn with that data about what you might do on a given day or how you might modify your workouts or modify or move around your runs so that you can try to get the most out of yourself when your body's ready. So that's a little bit more context. I think we had mentioned that acronym HRV several times on the last episode, but didn't properly explain it on that episode. So I wanted to make sure we started there before we moved on to your other questions. So with that out of the way, let's jump in with a couple of questions from a listener here. These two questions come from a listener in Seattle. So thanks thanks for listening all the way from the great Northwest. 
And these questions relate to how you balance running and life. This listener has has two kids and a job and trying to balance those two things. And And here are the questions. Number one, I sometimes can't find 60 to 90 minutes for a run on days I'm supposed to be doing six to nine miles. What is the impact of splitting it into two workouts in a day? I can usually find 30 minutes at the start and 45 minutes in the middle of the day. I'm guessing I'm losing the benefit of cardio training, but it's still better to get the mileage in the legs. Is that accurate? Other thoughts. And so, yes, it's a good question. We know physiologically that two shorter runs does not equal one longer run. So if you have 90 minutes on the calendar and you did two runs of 45 minutes, it's not the same aerobic benefit as you know, the one run is better than the two runs split up, even if you're doing the same amount of time from a aerobic development standpoint. However, as I always say, something is better than nothing. So if that's the best that you can do is get two runs split into smaller chunks, then that's what I would do if that's your only option. Now, of course, another option would be to potentially move the days around slightly so that you could get in the full 60 not 60 to 90 minutes in one go and that's an option as well but then of course it depends on how your other days look in general a a very general rule of thumb which which you know cannot be cannot be applied in every case but could potentially be applied in your case is you can usually always switch two days that are next to each other on a calendar as long as you end up getting a recovery run after a quality workout day or after a long run day so that you can get that active rest before you do another run workout or longer day so as long as when you're switching those two days it doesn't end up meaning that you've got two days stacked together that are hard in a row, then that's probably the preferred option in this case. So option one would be just to move things around, potentially switch day so you can get the full 60 to 90 minutes in one run. Option two, if that doesn't work for you or if that potentially puts a hard day right next to another hard day, then option two would be to go and try to do that run over two sessions as you're suggesting with your question. Again, it's not perfect. It doesn't give you the same benefit, but it's better than nothing. And hopefully if you're, if you're not doing that always, then over the balance of time, you're still getting the benefit that you need from those longer aerobic development sessions. So that's my answer to question number one. Question number two is my long run is scheduled for Saturdays and my running group does track on Mondays. So I tried to do my speed interval work on Monday with a rest day on Sunday in between. But sometimes life pushes my long run to Sunday mornings. If I run a long run early Sunday morning and track isn't until Monday night, is that enough of a rest? Is it better to do that and get them in or am I hurting myself by not having two sleep cycles between them? Couple of things to unpack here. First of all, I'm curious as to what you mean by rest. Does rest mean active rest or are you talking about taking Sunday off under your current plan? If your current plan involves taking Sunday completely off, then I really don't like that either. You know, as I've said, I think before on the podcast, one of the common injury-inducing scenarios for runners that I work with is when they go from long run to quality 
workout like a track workout without having active rest in between. Even if that means they have a day off, that's not enough in my opinion. You want to get an easy short run on Sunday for active recovery to get that blood flowing in the legs, to flush out the waist, and to prepare the body for the next hard session. Without that, then you go from long session, which is hard, on Saturday to fast session on Monday, which is also hard, without having that that motion, that active rest in between to grease the wheels, so to speak, or as a coach in our world says, motion is lotion. You want to use motion as lotion for the muscles in order to prepare them for that fast session after the long session. If you're not already doing that, I would incorporate that in. Now, that could potentially come in the form of another form of easy aerobic movement. For example, you could do a bike ride as active rest on Sunday or go for a swim as active rest on Sunday. Those are, I think, the best two examples. You could do something like an elliptical, but you want low impact, easy aerobic effort if you're going to get some other form of active rest on Sunday in order to make sure that it all works. Now, that I believe should be your standard scenario where you have that active rest on Sunday no matter what. Now, you may have been already doing that. Just want to make sure that that's clarified. Now, if you have to put the long, push the long run to Sunday, I don't like the fact that you'd be doing Sunday morning long run and then a Monday track workout because then again, that not only squeezes the time interval between the two, but likely ensures that you're not getting some active rest, some easy aerobic movement in between those two sessions. And that, in my opinion, is a recipe for disaster. So, or for injury, more specifically. So what are your options in this case? Or in the cases that you have to make those switches, I think your best option, and some of this depends on what you're training for, but your best option is probably to keep that Sunday long run. If you're training, and I I assume you're training for distance, you talked about going to CIM this past year earlier in the intro to the email, so I'm assuming you're a distance runner training for half marathons and marathons. If that's the case, then the long run is probably more important in the grand scheme of things if you're training for a particular goal race. So getting that in and then finding another way to get quality during the week after Monday I think is probably your best and most prioritized scenario. Now, there be there may be windows throughout the year where maybe you're not training for a specific half marathon or marathon, in which case you could do a little shorter long run, put long in air quotes there, maybe more of a medium long run on Sunday morning up to, say, 10 to 12 miles, and then go do the track work on Monday. I think that would be an okay scenario if for some reason you might be working on speed or during a transition or base building period throughout the year and you know going from 10 to 12 miles as a quote-unquote long run on Sundays doesn't bother me so much pairing that with a Monday track workout I think is okay but if you're doing more than that 14 and above on Sunday I don't like the Monday track workout and I would rather you prioritize that long run assuming you're training for a race and then potentially find another way to get speed during the week. That could look like maybe incorporating a fartlek into another run and or taking what that group did on Monday and just moving it to another day 
yourself. So those are those are the answers to your question. But again, generally, the rule of thumb that I talked about in answering question one is that you can more or less switch any two days on the schedule as long as you don't have back-to-back days that are either long or hard, like you're talking about potentially from Sunday to Monday. So those are the rules of thumb. If you get past that point of being able to switch two days and you're later already in the week and the workout has passed or a long run has passed, then in general, the rule of thumb is to let it be in the past and to just move on. Get back on your schedule as planned and keep progressing knowing that that the body of work is what matters and any one missed run or workout is not that important in the grand scheme as long as your overarching MO is to be consistent. So those are my answers to your question. Thanks for those questions from the listener in Seattle. All right. The next question comes from a listener from the Washington, D.C. area. And unfortunately, this listener sustained a broken leg in an accident and, and is looking at a period of time without the opportunity to train and, and or do weight-bearing exercises while that leg is healing. So there's going to be time for that. And she's asking about a referral for potential trainer or coach who could help her think through that transition time and then the build back. But as a part of that, I will respond with some tips directly there, but wanted to also give some general tips because I think the answer to what you can do in these situations is going to be helpful for others who might be in this situation. And certainly I've been in this place a few times during my running career, I've had a few stress fractures. As an example, I got a stress fracture training for my first marathon. I've had a stress fracture in the heel that I sustained in the Boston Marathon in 2016. And I've had, I, I fell on a trail run a couple years ago and broke my elbow, which caused me to have to have some time off. And so I've had these windows in my running career where I've had to take a sustained time, usually coming in two to three month chunks where I wasn't able to do what I love, which is run. And so I think, and I think we've all been in those places. And so I just wanted to give some tips and thoughts, some strategies on what to do in the meantime. And this listener referenced the mental side of things. And so I wanted to start there. I think this these breaks are a good time to experiment with the mental side of training and use it as an opportunity to reassess purpose and goals. So we've talked a lot about purpose on this podcast and I think having a clear perspective on why you want your goals is really, really important in that journey to achieve them. And so I highly recommend when you have these breaks to take a step back from your running journey and reassess why you want what you want. You know, what is it that draws you to running? What does it do for you? What is it that motivates you to go out there and train hard every day? What's the driving force behind your running? And 
There's lots of ways to do that. You can certainly just go through the thought exercise in thinking through the different ways you might be motivated to run. You can also go and read some good running books to try to draw inspiration. I think one that I recommend in these types of scenarios is Dina Castor's book, Let Your Mind Run, which I think is a good biography on Dina Castor, which is inspiring, but I think she also has some really practical tips about about using, not only thinking about purpose, but also using things like gratitude tools in order to really find your passion in the journey. And so going out and reading some of those books, I think Meb's books are also really inspiring and there's others to help you kind of answer this question, maybe by looking at the perspective of others who have answered that question in book format. So that's one thing you can do. And then I recommend you sit down and you actually write down why you run. I run because really you're basically answering that question or I want a specific goal because. And so I would take the time to actually not only let that marinate in your head, but also just to actually write down the why. Put it on paper, try to then with the input perhaps of others and a coach if you have it refine that purpose so that you get it down to I think ideally a statement or two that clearly articulates what you want and why you want it as a related exercise obviously thinking about your goals not only for a three to five year period but also then how that backs up to maybe a one to two year period once you do get back to training so I would you know, take the time to reassess those during this during this time. I've also used these breaks as an opportunity to read a bunch about whether they be running or otherwise. For me, I like to I'm a running nerd, so I'll get into a you know running training books and and try to to read books that help educate me on on the craft of running and training. And so I'd go dig into some books perhaps get some recommendations from your running friends and 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 just use that extra time that you're not running learning and trying to get better and learn how to be better when you do come back so that's sort of the mental side of things i think there are other things you can play with during the build back including things like like what you eat and how you fuel your body. I think this is a time to experiment with those things. Not that, you know, I would necessarily propose you go on a diet or do anything like that, but I think this is an opportunity to perhaps play with the food that you use to fuel. And if you've had some of those things in the back of your mind about maybe wanting to to fuel your your body differently, whether that mean incorporating more vegetarian or vegan options into your diet or potentially shifting your mix of macronutrients to see how that makes you feel. Those, this is the time when you're not running to experiment with those things. When I had my fracture, my elbow fracture and couldn't run for a bit, I did a, a juice cleanse. I don't necessarily, you know, I'm not necessarily a proponent of juice cleanses, but something that people talk about and I've had people ask me about as a coach. So I did one, a five-day cleanse myself to see how it made me feel and 
you know, really only a time when I'm not running, is it possible for me to, to play with things like that and see how it makes me feel so that I could just have that experience and be able to talk to others about it. So I did a juice cleanse and I didn't have a particular purpose for that other than just to know how it made me feel and, and, and to learn from that and be able to take those lessons perhaps into my normal everyday living and, and fueling. So that's something else you can play with during this time, you know, potentially play with how you put food in your body and how that makes you feel and experiment with that because you don't have that energy outlay coming from the running side of things. And there may be other examples, particularly as you get back to a place where you can actually start to do some activity. You know, there may be a time when you can start to do some basic strength work before you get back to weight bear weight bearing aerobic activity so there are things you can start to experiment with as you come back and then as i think about the comeback trail because anytime you have a bunch of time off because of a fracture like that it's important to build back the proper way and i think there's a tendency and i've done this many times in my own running career to try to build back too soon too rapidly because not only are you making sure that that part of your body that's healing is okay, but you also have to re-engage the other muscles, bones, tendons, nerves in the process as well. And I think we often don't give enough weight to the fact that anytime you're coming back, not only is the injured area have to be cared for properly, but also all the other things that you start moving again need to be built back patiently so that you don't get injuries in other places. I've I've done that so many times before where I build back and I'm patient about the injured area, but I'm aggressive in other ways, which causes perhaps another injury that pops up in another area because I was just too aggressive. And so I think when you come back from an injury like that, that takes you out for two to three months, you have to build back patiently. And I would give yourself a full cycle, four to six months of building back without a specific racing goal. And while that may sound like a long time and really frustrating to do that. It's an opportunity to reset your base, reestablish not only aerobic fitness, but also your neuromuscular fitness so that when you do get back to going after a goal, you're actually in a much better place versus if you're too aggressive and coming back and then you have some starts and stops because you're kind of having to push forward, maybe take two steps forward and then one step back because you're being too aggressive. I've been in that place. I don't recommend going to that place. Now when I have longer breaks, I'm much more patient about that comeback period so that when it is time to go train for a race, my body's actually ready for it. So I would just highly encourage a really patient process in building back that allows that total body, not just the injured area, to to prepare for the loads again and to be fit enough to train and really train and go after that next goal. So those are my tips. So sorry to hear about your injury. I'll send you an email with some thoughts on who you might be able to work with in your area and really wish you the best in coming back. So thanks to the DC listener for that question. All right, next question comes from Jonathan. I don't have a location for Jonathan, but he talks about also we're kind of related to the first listener 
about kind of questions of consistency in life circumstances. And he says, for background, I'm a mid-20s male, former soccer player, turned club cross-country runner in college. Post-collegiate, I moved to road racing. I've been putting in 35 to 40 miles all year with the help of a coach and building a strength program based off of running Rewired. Great book, by the way. The results have been great with PRs from the 5K to the half marathon. I suppose my question is, how do you advise runners that just have a lot on their plate temporarily? We've recently adopted a puppy and my partner has run into some unexpected challenges. With everything on my plate, the idea of training as seriously as I have been is exhausting and I don't have the time for it. That being said, I know I'll be ready for another big training cycle eventually, so I want to be consistent and keep running miles. I was hoping you've seen enough runners have kids have mental health issues or some other circumstances that makes running hard temporarily. If you have advice on how to think about manage a several month challenge or a change in life circumstances as it relates to training, I would appreciate your thoughts. Thanks for the question, Jonathan. And so this first listener we talked about was kind of talking more about how do you make individual tweaks within the framework if life gets in the way. But this question I think is more about what if you have a block of time where you need to make adjustments because life circumstances is, is pushing you that direction. And, and absolutely let's talk about it. But first I just want to say it's okay to make these adjustments. I think sometimes we beat ourselves up over the fact that, you know, we have to make these adjustments or we think to ourselves, well, I must not be strong enough or good enough if I can't maintain a routine while all this stuff is going, or all of this other stuff may be going on. And that thinking that you should just nip in the bud right away because it's not healthy or productive. Running should be fun. Running should be something that gives us energy back, that makes us feel good. And if for whatever reason, there's a season of life where it's not doing that because of other stresses, then you should pull back from it a little bit and and kind of pull that that rip cord so to speak that pressure release valve as needed within your training in order to make it all all fit together now i tend to believe that when you're going through stressful times some aerobic activity some movement practice is still really important in order to keep the stress levels lower balance how you're feeling and sleep and other things. And so I do always encourage if you can to maintain your movement practice, but I think it's okay for, for, for windows as long as they need to be for you to sort of pull that pressure release valve or push that pressure release valve and back off significantly. My best advice, if you can all at all sustain it is to try to at least maintain your routine as best as possible, even if that means cutting back the total miles. So you didn't mention in the email how many days a week you're running, but you talked about putting in 35 to 45 miles a week all year long. And that's great if you can do that consistently. But if you can't do that consistently, if let's say maybe you can only do 15 to 20 miles a week, and let's say you're running five days a week to get those 35 to 45 miles normally, my best advice for you in order to maintain some balance and consistency that will allow you to ramp up as needed when it's time is to try to keep those running days, but just shorten the days that you're running. 
or sorry, shorten the miles you're running on those days. So if you're normally running five days a week, I would highly encourage you to try to keep that five day a week routine and just cut back the mileage. So instead of running, you know, maybe seven to to 15 miles on a given day, go get in three to five mile runs for five days a week. And if that's all you can do, if all you can do is go out and do easy runs like that, and you can do it five days a week, then that's going to be the best bang for your buck in order in order of, of maintaining base aerobic fitness that will allow you to really quickly dig dig back up that old fitness when you get back to your routine, when you can get back to full mileage, when the pressure's off and those other circumstances start to normalize in your life. So keep those days, just shorten the miles on those days. And if you can't do formal workouts, that's okay too. I would just highly encourage you to work in on at least one of those days, some sort of quality workout that could be as simple as doing strides after your run. It could be as simple as doing one minute, 90 seconds, two minute pickups where you pick up the pace for a short bit of time during your run, maybe run easy for two or three minutes in between and do that for six to eight times during a run just to activate that little bit of fast twitch muscle so you keep not only that that aerobic foundation in that routine that you establish, but also keep those fast switch muscles, that speed muscles, so to speak, activated so that when you do go back up and, and ramp up again on mileage as well as on rigor with the quality workouts, then you're ready to do that. So that's my best advice. Now, if you can't maintain that routine, if you can't do five days a week at three to four miles a day, then do what you can. Do three days, do four days, do as many days as you can do in order to maintain as much routine as possible. I would also encourage you if for whatever reason you're struggling in maybe comparing yourself, comparing your fitness to what you had before, then another tip is to try to mix things up, not only for the routes that you run, but maybe go do some trails, some trail running that may not be mileage based but could just be time based if you go get a 30 or 45 minute run on a trail regardless of how how much distance you achieve that day then that will take you out of the paradigm of potentially comparing yourself to the past also allow you to get out in nature mix things up a little bit create some variety for yourself that keeps it interesting while you're waiting to get back on track with the more rigorous training so that's something else you can do in order to maintain where you are. And then just remember that however long that is, whether it's two months, three months, six months of just kind of maintaining some foundation, yes, it stinks. Yes, you will feel like you're quote out of shape. But I promise if you maintain that routine that you'll then you'll get back to your your fitness levels faster than if you didn't. And it'll take four to six weeks or so. When you jump back up to more rigorous training to start to feel like your old self again, but that will come and you will get back to that old self. You will get back to achieving PRs in those distances that you mentioned. And you'll appreciate the fact that you gave yourself a little bit easier path by maintaining that routine along the way. So those are my best tips. Of course, the overarching message, maintain routine. but 
be kind to yourself along the way. If you have these windows of time where you can't train more rigorously, it's okay. It's absolutely okay. And be kind to yourself in doing that and just maintain as much routine as possible as you do. All right. So now next question. This question comes from a listener, Andrew, who's training for the Houston Marathon coming up here in January. And he says, first, I want to say that your podcast has been important to both my understanding of running science and practical tips to help achieve my goals. I am a self-coached runner, male, 34 years old, who manages to average 38 to 42 miles when not training for a marathon. I've run two marathons a disastrous 440, and a much-improved 324. Since my last marathon, 324 in Dallas, 2018, I trained for a 10K cycle in April with a PR of 40 minutes and 10 seconds. Currently, I'm training for the Houston Marathon, and I'm worried if my goals are too aggressive. As a highly aggressive goal, I've been working towards a goal of 305 in Houston. I'm using one of the McMillan plans, and I've been completing the speed and interval training within the suggested paces. Based upon my recent training runs and my 10K PR from early this April, this past April, I feel that the data seems to indicate that a 305 marathon is possible. However, I know this would be a substantial jump from my previous PR. How much weight should I give to my past marathon PR, which had some pacing, pacing issues that bit me in the ass at the big hill at mile 20 versus the 10K PR? I'm just worried about being too aggressive on the eventual race day. Once again, I love the podcast and I love the advocacy on key issues such as gender equality and clean running. Well, thanks for listening, Andrew, and thanks for the shout out on those two topics that are definitely near and dear to my heart. So we have a big question. Should I use my past marathon time basically or my 10K PR as a better indicator of where I am? And this one, this one is tricky. And I would say, Andrew, there's you're not going to get a definitive answer from me because ultimately the decision as to your target for the day has to come from you. You have to believe in it. You have to buy into it. You have to be the one that executes it on race day. And so I'm going to give you some thoughts and some things to think about. First of all, it does seem like in general, you're probably more of a speed oriented runner. At least that's what your training history would show with that. 40 minute 10k and you're still learning the marathon probably still getting adapted to the mileage and the higher long runs of the marathon and in general especially if you're using mcmillan's calculator he would say that the closer your actual race time that you're using as an input the closer it is in distance to your target distance that you're trying to forecast then the more likely it's a good indicator so, for example, if I plugged a half marathon time into McMillan's calculator, an actual half marathon time, that would be an ed- a better indicator of a potential marathon time than a 10K would be. But a 10K is better than a 5K, and a 5K is better than a two-mile time trial at being able to forecast what you can run for the marathon. And so that's one thing to keep in mind, that while the 10K is better than some distances for indicating your marathon, it's not as good as maybe a half marathon would be or something like something in between the half marathon and a marathon. So where are you? Well, the question is really on you. And so I'm going to put some questions back to you for you to think about where you are. 
And those questions would be things like, how have your long runs felt during this cycle? How consistent have you been with those long runs? When you've done goal marathon pace work, and I'm assuming you've done it at that 305 pace, how has it felt? Has it felt easy and doable and like you could sustain it for 26.2 miles or not? Do you have other races after the April 10K of any distance that would also be other potential indicators? Because those things, and particularly how you're feeling in your recent training, will allow you to triangulate around what could be possible. Going from a 324 to a 305 is a big jump, but it is definitely a doable jump if you're prepared to make that jump. Now, just to give you an example, my first marathon, I don't remember the exact times off the top of my head, but I ran something in the low 320s. I think it was 321 or 322 in Chicago. And then my second marathon, I ran a 308 actually at the Dallas Marathon. And so while that isn't the same jump you're talking about, it isn't that far off from the kind of jump you're talking about. So those are some questions to ask. You know, what is my current fitness like? How does it feel? Do I feel like I'm ready to go do this? So that's one set of questions to ask yourself. The second set of questions to ask yourself is, how much risk do I want to take? How much risk do I want to take? No matter what you choose, there's risk in the marathon. That's the beast that is the marathon. That's part of the reason why we love it. Because there's always a chance with the marathon because of the distance involved that something could go wrong and that you could get and end up in a potentially messy, ugly, death march type situation at the end. That's always possible no matter how conservative you are in the marathon. And so that's something to think about. How much risk do you want to take? Because you could, if you believe, and let's just say that your fitness is there to run a 305, but that that is going to require the day to go perfectly. That's one level of risk taking. If you're in that fitness, but you decide to run a 310 or have a plan to run 315, those are different, two different levels of risk taking that would potentially open yourself up to having a better or, or, or potentially lower the risk and therefore potentially open yourself up to having a stronger, better day with a big finish. So how much risk are you prepared to take? A part of asking yourself that question is, you got to kind of ask yourself, what do I want to get out of this? Do I want to, and this would be the third kind of question I would ask yourself is, what do I want to get out of this? What are my goals for this race and what are my goals for beyond this race and how will this race set myself up for those goals? If you're someone who's trying to run this 305 to get that 35 to 40 Boston qualifier, which you might be qualifying for by 2021, then, and that's the end all and be all, then Maybe there's, that's one answer to this question. But if you're really going for sub three or beyond, then I might argue that the actual time you get in this race is less important than potentially how you run the race. And especially if you haven't had a good experience in a race, you said the first was a disaster. You said the second didn't go well at the end because of pacing issues. Then I might contend that I would rather you finish this race strongly 
then I would have you take a bunch of risk and potentially have you fall apart again in the race and therefore not have that good mental and muscle memory that comes with showing yourself that you can run a strong marathon and run those final 5K or 5 miles faster than the rest in the race. Uh, If your goals are beyond 305, then I would argue potentially that teaching yourself to run a race well and to close strongly is actually might be more important than whatever time you run coming up here in a few weeks in January. So those are some things to think about. I don't know what your current fitness is. I don't know your level of risk taking and you know how you'll feel if things go poorly again in your third marathon after struggling in the first two. And I don't know what your goals are beyond this race in order to put this one in context. But reading between the lines and knowing what I know about coaching runners, I would have you consider perhaps targeting a more conservative pace, being less aggressive, taking fewer risks, maybe going for that sub 310 and setting yourself up to close really strongly teach yourself how that's done, prove to yourself that you can do it so that when you do go out there and try to break three or beyond, you've got that template to use, to draw from, to show you that it's possible so that you have more confidence when you go do it and because the next time you'll have better fitness in building to that next race. And I think you need a win and a strongly run race more than you need a certain time at this point. That's just my theory. That's just my hypothesis. It may not be right, but hopefully I've given you some tools to think about as you plan for this race. So good luck to you in Houston. It's a great race. Hopefully the weather will be good. I love the, the, the course there. It's one of my favorites and is currently my marathon PR. So I'm wishing that it will also be yours. And if you, and if you need to go back and listen to my planning for Houston, I've got a race or an episode on Houston race planning. And I believe it's episode 56, but somewhere in the 50s. So I would go back and check that out as well once you decide what your target time is so that you can then go execute it. So thanks for that question and best of luck to you. All right, next question as we go through this list here. All right, these questions come from Brian. And he actually wrote this email in response to one of our True False episodes with James Brian is potentially from Richmond. He talks about the Richmond Marathon. I'm not sure if he's from Richmond, but Brian has some true-false questions for me, and I'm not going to use all of them that he provided in the email because we'll save those for another episode with James, but I think there's some interesting kind of questions underneath these true-false statements that I think are worth talking about, so I'm going to incorporate these into this episode. So a couple of them are, one Brian says, adding a few days of weightlifting and subtracting the same number of days of running during training provides an overall benefit in marathon results, true or false. My perspective on that, Brian, is that that statement is false. I think that yes, weightlifting is important, but I don't think, especially for marathon runners, it should come at the expense of days running. And I think that for most people, 
And I say most because there's obviously always exceptions. And I do think that an experienced masters runner who has a significant aerobic base could potentially play with the days a little bit more with more flexibility than perhaps somebody who is newer to the marathon. So that is a potential caveat here. But in general, those that are newer to marathoning and building that aerobic foundation, the running is the number one thing. And it's most important to get in more running days, obviously ensuring that you balance those days with the appropriate amount of recovery days and you're mixing those days up so that you have, you're doing the right things on each day. That's more important than the weight training. Now, ideally, you do both. I like to see runners try to get two days with some sort of strength component into their routine, even if that's a 20 to 30 minute body weight style exercise routine on a couple of days. But to me, that comes in addition to your running and will help you stay healthy as well as eventually have some performance benefits if you're able to be consistent with that. But what's most important is establishing that aerobic foundation for the marathon, which means just getting in those running days. Now, again, as I said, there's caveats for that experienced runner who has high mileage history and who has a strong aerobic foundation who might be in the master's category and needing to take some of the weight bearing load off of their legs in order to stay healthy. That might be a scenario where somebody can play with this trade-off of days in order to make it all work because they already have that aerobic foundation and they don't need to do the same amount of aerobic work in order to activate that strength in their world. And then, of course, there's also the obvious caveat of that person who might be really injury prone and who having more days of weight bearing activity can affect them, especially if they're if they're having to trade off the strength training as a result. And so in some cases, those those situations on a very individual case by case basis may play out for somebody who's heavily injury prone, but generally in those cases, I prefer to keep aerobic activity days and and make sure the weight training comes with it. So maybe they can't do the weight-bearing running, but they could do some non-weight-bearing activities, swimming, biking, elliptical, something else aerobic in order to still get the same number of aerobic days as you would ideally have while do, doing the strength training, the weightlifting in order to stay healthy. So that's my perspective on that. And that probably comes as no surprise to anybody who's ever listened to my episodes as, a, as I do believe that those miles do matter. So the, the second one I want to pull from your email, Brian is your last one in the email and he says, the average runner cannot outrun a poor diet, true or false. And I'm going to say false, that the average runner can outrun a poor diet and i only say this with because because i think there's a ton of gray in this question and anybody who takes this as black and white is is taking taking my perspective on this completely out of context i don't think it's a black and white equation but but i also don't think and for that reason i don't think it's either or bad diet you know means you can't you know you can't train and still get fit and feel fit even with a poor diet. It's just, I don't think it's either or. So I'm going to say false for that reason. 
while certainly I believe that what you put in your body and how you fuel yourself matters, and if you want to optimize your performance, you need to be thinking about those things, but I don't think it's it's a one zero a binary situation with you know equal tra- trade offs either way. I actually, as a corollary to this, I saw a tweet over the holidays from from somebody who was talking about getting eight hours of sleep, and this person said it and I'm paraphrasing, but said in the tweet, if you're not getting eight hours of sleep a night, then you know, it doesn't matter how much you're training. Basically, you're nullifying everything by not getting eight hours of sleep a night. And, and just like with the diet question, I just don't believe that it's binary with sleep either. There's a lot of people who can't get eight hours of sleep a night who can still train and still see benefits and maybe they're not able to optimize those benefits from training because they're not getting the right sleep and recovery but they're still going to see some benefits and it might just compromise the level of mileage they can do in order to make things all fit together i'm a perfect example of that i'm far from a perfect sleeper i am also far from having a perfect diet and sure there are trade-offs that I'm making in my training because of those imperfections, but I can still get fit. I can still get fast. And I don't think by any stretch that sleep or diet creates a binary situation where you're completely undoing all of your training by eating poorly or not getting enough hours per sleep a night. And in fact, on the sleep topic, just as an example, there's a great article from Alex Hutchinson recently on his sweat science blog on from from outside magazine where he talks about the five laws of sleep and one of the things that he talks about in the article is basically that you kind of need to give yourself more credit even if you're not getting the right quantity of sleep that there is more to the sleep equation than just the number of hours quality matters as well and in that article and I'll link to it in the show notes there's a sleep questionnaire that you can take from somebody who does research on sleep that allows you to look at not only quantity of sleep, but also some other sleep hygiene factors to help you point to quality of sleep as well and tell you what you might need to work on in the area of sleep that goes well beyond just total total quantity, total hours. And so I did that survey and while my sleep quantity isn't as good, I have good sleep hygiene in other ways. And so my my sleep score actually was better than I expected because of those things. And so it it actually made me, I still have work to do there, but it made me beat myself up a little bit less than I currently do on the sleep equation because there are parts of the sleep equation that I am getting right. And that's one example for sleep, but I think the same applies with diet. You know, we all think we want to be that, you know, have that perfect diet. And I think all of us could name, you know, four or five things usually pretty quickly that we think we should do differently as it relates to our diet and we'll maybe beat ourselves up over that constantly when in reality they're all trade-offs and you know you need to enjoy life too and not beat yourself up so be kind to yourself on those things and I'm not going to give any examples because on that because those examples will be taken out of context but very much moderation is okay and don't beat yourself up over decisions when you know perhaps they make you happier even if they're not perfectly optimized for your training and that's okay so 
I am not a binary. I don't like being forced into true false on this question, but if I'm forced, Brian, I'm going to say false. You can outrun a poor diet because it's not black or white. So good, good true false questions. There's a couple of others in there in the email that I'll save for another episode with James. All right, let's move to the final category of question here. These questions are from Laura, who's trying to qualify for the Chicago Marathon and get that associated standard. And she says, do you have some questions? And I'm pretty sure my training is still pretty cringe-worthy. I train by myself due to time constraints with my job and family. No one wants to get up and run with me at four in the morning. I follow the Garmin Advanced Marathon training program with tweaks I've made listening to your podcast. I've increased the length of training to 20 weeks instead of 16 and ran 20 plus miles on Sundays, three times in training, going through a three-week build up to that distance. I also added an eight to 10 mile run every Thursday. The biggest area of weakness I have is the quality workouts. I do my speed work on a treadmill. It's very scary on a track that early in the morning. The tracks near me belong to the schools and no one else is around. Eek. I'm not sure if the pace work I'm doing is appropriate. I do whatever the Garmin plan has. So for example, it might be a 10 minute warm up, 10 minutes at threshold pace, then 1K times 90 seconds at 10K pace repeats. So that would be 1K repeats at 10K pace with 90 seconds rest. Do five of those. I really have no idea if those are most effective and beneficial workouts I could be doing. I really enjoyed your podcast and have taken probably 40 minutes off my marathon time since listening. I just need advice as to what else to add in to change. I also have been debating about joining the podcast training group. And uh, so hopefully, Laura, we'll have you in that group soon. So good questions. And I think a lot of our listeners might have those questions. Am I doing the right quality work? For the marathon and without having your entire schedule that's going to be probably impossible for me to know but i want to give you a couple of thoughts as you think through this the the quality they might be doing and, and make potentially adjustments to that first of all kudos on all the changes you've made so far lengthening your training cycle making sure you're getting plenty of 20 plus mile runs adding in that medium long run that you seem to be doing on thursdays those things matter and I think are likely the, the cause of why you've been able to take such, uh, such, um, such good chunks off of your marathon in such short time. That's, those, are the, those things you've changed are such big factors and I think that sometimes people don't take those pieces seriously enough because they don't sound necessarily like big changes, but lengthening that marathon cycle by four weeks, getting in more 20 milers, adding that medium long run. Those things are foundational pieces of being good in the marathon long-term. And the longer you can do those things consistently and repeat cycles, cycle after cycle, then you're going to continue to see improvement. And so I just want to encourage you first that you're doing all the right things. So appreciate that very much. Second thing I want to point to that has nothing to do with your question is you would also benefit from potentially working in other types of cycles. So yes, you've talked about 
a marathon cycle, but I would encourage you to do half marathon cycle as well. Mix that in. Do a 10K cycle. I assume you can pull those types of training cycles off of the Garmin protocols as well. And I would highly encourage you to do that because in addition to those other changes you've made by starting to work on other race distances, that's probably going to be your the second thing that would give you a bang for your buck before tweaking too much the quality that you're doing within a cycle. So that's something else to look at. Let's get away from that marathon cycle and do some other distances, work on your half marathon time, work on your 10K time, work on your 5K time. Would highly encourage those changes as well because I think, again, that's going to have more impact than what you might be doing on one workout within a marathon cycle. Beyond that, how do you think about the quality workouts and that that workout that you described in the email? I First of all, I wouldn't call any of what you're doing cringeworthy. So give yourself more credit than that because what you're doing is awesome. And I think you're crushing it, frankly, based on the, the information that I have. So keep doing what you're doing. And as I said, those other factors I mentioned are probably more important than what you're doing on any of these specific workouts because some form of quality, even if it's not perfectly optimized, will help you get faster you know, regardless of whether it's perfect or not. And so I think, and would assume that the Garmin schedules are are pretty solid. Now, what do you want to see from those schedules? And in general, you want to see a couple of things. One, that once you get into the race-specific window, and that would be anywhere from three to about six weeks, but potentially seven weeks out from your marathon before you hit that taper window, you want to see that your workouts in that window are more race specific and are specifically in there to help you prepare to run marathon pace for marathon distance. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing only marathon pace during that window. It just means that you're going to be working on workouts that will help you run marathon pace. And those will come in really kind of two general forms. And this is obviously an oversimplification, but it's something to think about. On one end, in that window three to seven weeks out, you're going to want to work on the faster end of the range. Make sure you're still doing some some higher end quality work, working 5K and 10K paces, which helps you improve efficiency and make sure that as you reach that peak fitness, then you're more efficient and you feel better at marathon pace or even half marathon pace if you're in a half marathon cycle. So that's one type of workout you want to see sprinkled into those final three to seven weeks. The other type of workout you want to see sprinkled into those final three to seven weeks is workouts where you're having to sustain marathon pace but potentially having to shift gears off of that pace and then get back to it. And so this is where I like continuous workouts where you might be doing marathon pace for a mile and then switching into doing a faster pace for a shorter period of time. So maybe you're alternating between a mile at marathon pace and a half mile at half marathon pace or a mile at marathon pace and a 400 at 5K pace. You're alternating that so that you're doing continuous work, alternating those two paces. And that forces you really not only learn to dial in the marathon pace, but also forces you to 
help or see that you can recover at marathon pace. So for example, I might have runners in my group after a warm up and then of course with the cool down at the end do four miles or three to five miles where they're alternating between one mile at marathon pace and 400 meters at 5k pace. Again, that forces you to not only learn to dial into pace, but also learn to recover at marathon pace and and build up some fatigue in those muscles that forces you to maybe struggle to get back to marathon pace as you dial back in. So that's an example. And those workouts in that three to seven week period are probably going to be more than more important than what workouts, what the workouts you're doing the rest of the schedule. Now, the rest of the schedule, you want to ensure, especially in that maybe eight to 16 week out period, that you're really focused on what we call building aerobic strength, which is also another word for that is endurance or your ability to sustain paces that might not be hard, but are a little bit uncomfortable for longer and longer periods of time. And so this workout where you're talking about doing these, this threshold work and then going into these 1K repeats with short rest, that's a strength-oriented workout that I think fits perfectly in that window you know, from 8 to 16 weeks out. Of course, you want to make sure you're building up to that so that you're not just jumping into something like that. But that's a workout that you could do. And even if you're going a little slower than 10K pace on those 1K repeats, you're probably still getting the benefit. You know, another thing you would do in that window is just pure tempo runs where you might be doing anywhere from th- from two to six miles of tempo effort uh, with four, a four mile tempo run kind of being a sweet spot, what we call a true tempo. That's a, a classic marathon cycle workout where you're building that aerobic endurance, that aerobic strength through hitting tempo effort, which is about half marathon pace. And that's really one of the sweet spots of aerobic development to where you really gain a lot from running paces in and around tempo effort or or about half marathon pace. And so when, in that eight to 16 weeks out window, you want to see a lot of workouts like that where you're, you're not necessarily cranking all the way down to the faster end all the time, although you might sprinkle that in and, and, and keep touching on that system a little bit, but you're doing these aerobic strength or endurance-based workouts where you're having to really sustain slightly uncomfortable paces for longer periods of time or do workouts where you are doing you know, 10K or half marathon pace with, with very little rest. So those are some examples, but again, I think the best bang for your buck is going to be continuing to do the things that you've described in the email and then also just mixing up cycles so that you're doing a half marathon cycle in addition to 5K and 10K cycles between those marathon cycles and working the full end of the spectrum. So those are my best tips for you. Hopefully that's helpful as you continue on your journey. Thanks for asking the questions. I really appreciate it. And I believe everybody can benefit from answers to questions like that. So Thanks to Laura and thanks to all of our listeners who lobbed lobbed in questions to me. I will definitely get to these listener questions episodes here or there. So please do continue to send these questions, chris at roguerunning.com if you have them. And of course, if you'd like to join us in the base training journey, 
you can go to our website roguerunning.com and sign up there under the training tab and as always you can follow us on facebook or instagram at rogue running we're also on twitter and then for other information check out our website roguerunning.com so with that i will wrap this first episode of the new year and i will talk to you guys next week